Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. Everybody and welcome after a week off to Simpsons is greater than the Simpsons podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact and everything that has to do with everybody's favorite nuclear family the Simpsons as always I'm your host Warren and guess what we got another Q&A episode I know you guys are jumping out of your chair you're all excited and who do I have back with me this week other than Botter Milligan? Hello, Botter. Yo! <laughs> Botter is back after an overwhelming love and support from everyone that heard the first episode. So, he's back. He's back for a Q&A part two. How you doing today, Botter? I'm doing well, brother. I, I am so excited to be on a podcast where people appreciate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must be nice compared yeah. to what you're used to. Yeah, for real, um, man. My co-host, boy. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was glad to see that everyone liked the last Q&A episode. I wasn't sure going in if it would be as interesting to some of you as, you know, an interview or something of that sort. But I'm happy to announce that everyone seemed to enjoy it. And if you didn't enjoy it, and you didn't say anything, well, you know what? You missed your fucking chance, because now I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, closed mouth, don't get fed. <laughs> no, but uh, so we're going to go through some new questions today. We got a couple left over from last time. And if you asked a question and I missed it for some reason, yo, shoot me a DM and let me know that I missed your question. Say, Warren, what the fuck is your problem? I asked you a question and you didn't read it on the podcast. So I think, you know, unless anyone has a problem with it, I think this might become at least a monthly or bi-monthly episode of the podcast, among other things that I'm working on. So uh, yeah, let your feelings be known about the podcast. And, and I will say if if the next, if the questions continue to improve and get as good as like this batch I'm looking at, like I definitely think you're on the right track to make this a uh, recurring um, uh, theme or episode. Yeah, and I'm just happy to know that people care so much about what I think. So thank you guys so much. Uh, so, you know, like I said at the beginning, I did take a week off last week. Uh, but I want you all to know that I'm working on some really cool stuff. So I didn't just take a week off to prop my feet up and be lazy. I've got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. Some cool interviews, some cool other ideas that I've been bouncing off a few people so, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just, I didn't take a vacation or anything guys. So don't, don't think I was just being lazy. Uh, so I got lots of cool episodes, uh, coming soon. So, uh, and I also, uh, I don't want to waste any time bringing this up because this is something that just, you know, I talked to Botter about this and this has to be addressed right at the front. In the first episode, you guys asked me, how do I dust my collection? And I want to report that recently I posted a photo of the room first time in a while. And I received this question, nothing short of 10 times. Yo, look, Swiffer, your ad spot could come right here, baby. Sponsor the oh show. Oh, my God. A Swiffer ad, like a Swiffer sponsored segment? Come on. Oh, come on. I would That's love, I just imagine a little jingle with the Swiffer. <laughs> come on. <laughs> or pledge. No, but I say. Or pledge. One of them. Come on. Yeah, one of you guys. But I say that to say uh, it's it's honestly, you know, all joking aside, it's so funny to me how often uh, I get asked that question. I'm like, hey, you know, here's an updated picture of the room. You guys come out of the woodwork to be like, oh, my God, that room's cool. How do you dust? <laughs> and uh, I just I find it so funny that that is the number one question. That is definitely the question I get asked more than anything else. So uh, I just want to let you all know if you missed the first episode, I dust. As I go, like, you know, it's like Botter said, if I, if I post a photo and it looks, if I take something outside to photograph, it looks a little dirty, I'm going to hit it with a dust. But we're in a room without a lot of foot traffic, so it's really not an issue. So I just don't want you guys to be worried about me. I just yeah. want you guys to, to rest easy. You got to flip it on them and ask, how do you dust? You know? Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> whatever you say, that's what I do, all right? Yeah, what is your dusting routine? Exactly. That's what I, you know, I'm going to do a whole episode about that. You guys let me know how you're dusting, you know? <laughs> um, but before we get into the questions and like Botter said, we've got some really 
awesome questions for this episode. Uh, I do want to let you guys know, uh, I don't ask much of you. I don't say this very often, but I would really appreciate it if everyone who listens to the podcast, that means you, the guy that's going me, pointing to himself, saying me, all of you, go on iTunes and leave me a review. I would really appreciate any sort of feedback that you all have. And it's really lame to like have to ask for that. And I know, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I don't go leave reviews on a lot of podcasts I listen to. So I'm actually a hypocrite, but it really does help me move up in the ranks. And, uh, so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, Hey, this is a pretty good podcast. Do me a favor, go leave me a review on iTunes or any, anywhere that you listen to it for that matter, or just post it, tell a friend, and uh, and spread the word. I do want to I do want to let you all know that recently I found out that I'm in the top 200 in TV and film in the UK. Hell yeah! So so I'm, I'm I'm in like yeah I'm like 191 or something. But hey, I'm in the top 200. And uh, so all my UK listeners, uh, much love to all of you. I don't know why I got sent that email, but uh, apparently I'm in the top 200. So there you I, go. I got something similar like a couple weeks ago. It was like a um, short box was. Number like thirty three in a um, um, art and literature in like the Netherlands. I was like, "Yo, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take it. <laughs> you, you'll get no argument from me." Hey, um, real quick, I, I wanted to add real quick because I'm I'm glad you brought up the the Apple uh, uh, podcast reviews, and, and we won't spend much time. But the the best way I'll put it is those reviews, aside from helping you kind of get bumped up, but they also serve as like social proof for other people that find your show and they're they're just right there, right? They're, they're not quite ready to hit subscribe or play. They need that one extra push to be like, ah, am I going to give this dude a fucking shot? You know, sometimes those <laughs> reviews are, are that deciding factor. Think about it like when you, when you go on like Amazon to buy something. I know I look at the reviews and there's always like oh, that yeah. one review that pushes you towards a purchase. You're like, you know what? I appreciate, you know, uh, uh, Bart Lover 500, you know, leaving this really good review <laughs> about my man Warren. So, yeah, yeah. Get your review game. Yeah, right. it's, it's true. Because, I mean, you know, like Botter said, if you go on Amazon, if you go on anywhere and you look at the reviews, if the first review is like, this is the, I'll put it, I'll give you an example. Recently, I saw an ad for some cat litter. It's some cat litter called Pretty Litter or Pretty Kitty Litter, some, some shit like that. But it's supposed to be like really easy to scoop and all this sort of thing. So I got an ad for it and I looked at the comments and the first one was like, this shit does not work. Do not buy this garbage. And that's all I needed to see. I was like, oh, okay. I scroll a little further. All the comments are just full of hate. It's like, this is the worst product ever. So if someone happens to listen in to one random episode of Simpsons is greater than, and they see that top comment going, Warren is great. And this podcast rules or whatever the hell the thing says, um, then I'm sure that might help them decide to subscribe to the podcast. So, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat you guys over the head with this or ask you often, but if you could just do me a personal favor, it would be, it would be much appreciated. But Botter, what do you say we get rolling on these questions? I don't know for sure if we're going to get through all of them just like last time, but we'll, we'll see how we go and uh, we'll see how, you know, how we're looking towards the end as far as time. And uh, we'll just go from there. What do you think? Yeah, I like the idea, man. You got a lot of inquisitive um, minds that that reached out. I'm looking through them. There's definitely some unique questions, some like different ones. I thought the first episode that we did, um, like I was telling you earlier, like it was a good introduction, like uh, um, episode. You know, like a lot of very kind of high level introductory questions. Warren, what's your favorite so and so? What do you think about this? I feel like this batch of questions goes like that next level deeper. You know, there's some curveballs right. in here. There's a good like mix of of of, of commentary. So yeah, man, we can get it. Uh, we can get it kicked off. Um, how about we start with this first question from P O zero four five P I O zero four five. They write in, "What is the character of the Simpsons that most resembles you?" Um, <laughs> well, I you know I wish I knew if uh, P O um, if that's how you pronounce it. I wish I knew if they just meant looks or otherwise, uh, because you know I gotta admit that especially right now, none of you at home can see me, but, um, I just hit a shave and I got sort of the beard coming back in. So I'm looking very Homer right now. Um, I'm looking very, um, I'm looking very dad on the couch right now. So, um, you know, uh, but I, if you just mean in general, like who resembles me, like ideally or in my views and things like that, uh, I got to go with my girl, Lisa. Um, I think we share a lot of views as far as like, uh, you know, recycling the, the, the earth, you know, animals, uh, or, or, you know, whatever. But I, I think that that would be sort of where I fall, uh, as far as, you know, 
all of that sort of stuff. But as far as looks, I, you know, I'm looking very Homer at the moment. I <laughs> probably resemble more Mo than anyone else. <laughs> as much as I love if there would be, you know, like some sort of like good looking dark skin, like, you know, uh, a tall, dark, handsome dude on The Simpsons. I think I look most like Mo. <laughs> You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really see it, but I'm going to, I'm just, I like that answer. So I'm, I'm glad gonna... you didn't say Apu. So there we go. We, we good. We good. <laughs> All right. So the, the next question comes from our mutual, a uh, good, good buddy of ours. Wade Austin Ellis writes hey. in. So we know you love the Simpsons. What's your second favorite cartoon? And why is it Batman the animated series? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely Austin. Um, so. I really had a hard time thinking about what the actual answer to this question is. And I guess that's the point. It's not supposed to be easy to answer. Uh, I think if I really, if someone said, hey, you know, Simpsons is off the table, you have to decide on, you know, an absolute favorite cartoon, the Simpsons doesn't exist, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would say probably King of the Hill. That's a solid choice. Um, I think it's one of the only, I think it's one of the only other shows that I've like watched, you know, through the series several times other than the Simpsons. But I mean, you know, I, I also really love Ren and Stimpy. Hmm. Um, you know, I've got, I, I don't really collect Ren and Stimpy stuff. I do have like some random toys. I've got a, an animation cell uh, of Ren and of Stimpy uh, framed on my wall. I, I mean, I really love Futurama. I do love Batman, the animated series, you know, you know Austin, that's, that's definitely anyone who gives me that answer. I'm going to assume they have good taste. It's a great show that I feel like a lot of people uh, do miss or it was, you know, it's harder to find. It's harder to, you know, get your hands on to watch. But, I, you know, I really think it's King of the Hill. I, I just I, you know, I also love Beavis and Butthead. There's so many potential answers, but I've watched so much King of the Hill and I watched it a lot as a kid. I mean, it aired after The Simpsons. Um, so I, I think it, I think it falls to King of the Hill. Botter, what What would you say to that? I might, you know, uh, you know, Austin threw up the the, the comic book alley oop, um, so I'm gonna have to <laughs> indulge and say I think Batman the animated series is probably my favorite one. Uh, of course, like I I was really influenced, and there was a um, those Marvel cartoons, you know, the the Spider Man animated series, right. the X Men animated show, like those had a really big um, influence on me. And, and to be honest, I you know watched those before I ever really read a comic book, so they definitely helped establish. Like a lot of the um, the foundation as far as understanding comic books, Batman the animated series, man. Even as a kid, I knew there was something special about it, and I really couldn't get a full grasp until I became much older and understood what it takes to make a cartoon. Right. You know? So, um, Batman the animated series is definitely up there. And, and Warren, I wanted to maybe inject my own question. You know, piggybacking off this one, what's been like a, um, a new, I guess, cartoon that you've given a shot that's really impressed you? Like, is there any new cartoons out there that you really like? Yeah, I mean, so I, I will admit that I'm I'm actually sort of out of the loop in in, in the sense of like uh, there's a lot of animated shows that I haven't really taken the time to watch in the last couple of years, um, but I do, uh, which I think there's a question that'll that I'll get a little more into this later, but I really did love uh, the current season, the new season of Disenchantment. And uh, I, I think that that is a severely underrated show. I know some people might have thought the first season was a little slow. Maybe they weren't really brought in from the jump. But I think if you guys give it another chance and if you watch the uh, other parts to the show, there's three now, I think you would really get in. But, I mean, there was a show uh, that took a while to come out that, that Bill Oakley worked on called Close Enough that's on HBO Max. And I think that's one of the funniest animated shows I've watched in a really long time. Uh, it's JG Quintel who also did regular show and, uh, th that's definitely been high on my list for the last year. Or so I watched the whole show in like a weekend because I just couldn't turn it off. It's very, very funny. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think those two, I think disenchantment and close enough, uh, anyone who's not watching those, I mean, I think you're just, uh, I mean, maybe you're fucking up. I don't know what your deal is. So the choices. <laughs> All right. So the next, uh, question, I'm going to, I'm going to lump two of them together cause I think they're, they're kind of similar. Ooh. So, uh, it's a question from Off Simpsons Pupils. Um, they write in, is there a piece that you have always wanted for your collection, but don't believe it's attainable, as in it's been lost, destroyed, or way too expensive? And I'll piggyback another question that's kind of similar in that vein uh, from Springfield, Ontario. They write, which items are at the top of your wish list? Yeah, those are those are good questions. And I, yeah, I do get asked those a lot, but I like that people ask me that because... There's a lot of stuff that, you know, is always making its way up the list or sort of like, you know, I go through these phases of sort of focus and things that I'm 
really trying to get. I think the constant answer, uh, as far as like most sought after item, has to be the save Blinky Bart. Uh, that was a mail away made by Mattel in the early '90s. It was part of the Mattel line. Uh, so a lot of you, if, if if you're not familiar, it's the white card back, uh, the original Mattel stuff, some of the earliest toys that they made for the series. And there was a mail away where Bart is wearing green shorts and a white T-shirt with a picture of Blinky that says "Save Blinky." And the you know, I'm sure there's a couple of collectors that might correct me on a few of these points, but as I understand it. Uh, there weren't very many of them made at all because I guess the, the mail away wasn't very successful. So hmm. they didn't put that many into production. And I'm assuming they just used, you know, parts from the Barts that they already had in the line. And uh, so people say that there's only like five to maybe 10 that actually are known to exist that collectors actually still have. Um, I've heard, you know, crazy stories of people buying like a huge lot of just like old stuff that someone found in like their grandmother's attic. And, you know, one of them was in there and stuff like that. So, but it's, it's probably the rarest figure they go for, you know, thousands of dollars. If one actually Damn. goes for sale. And, uh, I have a good friend, Alex, shout out to Alex who owns one that has two left arms. If I'm not mistaken, it's either two left arms or two right arms. Um, and he has the original like ad that came for the figure and things like that. He's, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And that is something that I, I'm starting to think I'll just never uh, be lucky enough to get because if one went up for sale, it would probably be a price that I'm not ready to pay. Or I think most people that have them are just going to keep them. I don't, I just don't see many going uh, for sale anytime soon. Um, you know, in, in addition to that, to sort of address Springfield, Ontario's question, shout out to my friend Steven on that question. Um, Anything other than that is going to fall into like, you know, I say this a lot, but like a sample prototype category. Those things are always high up on my list. Um, and there's not really anything that's like standing out at this moment as far as like something I'm really searching for. Uh, I know in the last episode, I think I talked about calendars. Uh, I've been sort of crazy currently for uh, like birthday cards and, and greeting cards and things like that. I've really been trying to track those down. I've got some on their way to me now. Uh, from the early to mid nineties. So yeah, I mean, I think it's save blinky. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And sadly off Simpsons people's, I really don't, I just don't think I'm going to get it. But you know, if somebody out there goes, Hey, I've got one of those, I'll you know let you have it. Then that you're my new best friend and I'll, you know, be in your debt forever. I'm glad <laughs> you said something about like, uh, the, the that mail in item being such a, um, you know, a uh, prize possession, you know, cause that, that's kind of how it is with, um, like in the comic book realm too. Uh, Marvel and DC, not a lot of comic publishers really, um, were doing like the mail-in things where you would mail in whatever, a clipping or proof of purchase or, right. or just, you know, a COD or money order for like a one-off comic book. Um, and it was always like some random like creative team or just some random property like Venom uh, uh, and Daredevil and, and some like just always some random stuff. And you don't find those out in the wild a lot. Um, and looking back, I, I wish I would have just taking the time to, you know, clip, you know, clip these magazine clippings, send them in because <laughs> same thing with comic books, man, those things go for a lot. And because they were, they only produce so much, so many. And a lot of those mail-in things weren't as successful neither. Um, same thing. There's a lot of really rare comic books that you only would have gotten in the nineties if you would have, you know, been on the up and up. So. Well, well and, and the thing about that is too, like I, that's why I'm so curious about say Blinky Barton. And, and the thing is information about it is, is quite spotty because if only a few were made or if there weren't very many made, like say I have a hard time believing, you know, only 10 or so people mailed in, I guess a lot of them just didn't survive or they got destroyed by the kids, yeah. but I'm, I'm very curious. And I, if anyone listens to this, that's involved in like any sort of company that does, you know, special mail in product, I'd be curious to know, like, if they treat it like a pre-order, like if they like, you know, let's see how many we sell and then we'll produce them or if they make X amount and just hope that they sell. Because, you know, I talk a lot about this tombstone poster that I mailed in for when I was a kid with my mom and I love that poster and I thought it was so great. And I just wonder how many they made. Now, granted, a poster is a lot easier to, you know, make to order than like a toy, a custom you know, a special version of a Bart toy. But yeah, I would really be curious to know like how they handle that. If they treat it, like I said, like a pre-order or if they sort of, you know, just make a bunch and hope they hope they move. So that's, if anybody knows, I want to know, hit me up. 
So, <laughs> so continuing on about like products and stuff, uh, we got another, we got this question from, uh, who Danny Ellis, uh, they write in, if you could bring one product from the Simpsons world into the real world, what would it be? <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know if I'd really call this a product, but I, I'm actually, I'm going to steal an answer, uh, that Bill Oakley gave me in episode two. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should. Uh, where he, he said that something he would eat from the Simpsons are Homer Simpson's patented space age moon waffles. And I got to say, <laughs> if someone would actually make, I mean, I, there's nothing stopping me from making them, but if these became an actual thing that people ate, you know, you've got the waffles with the liquid smoke and the caramel. And, uh, I mean a little too much butter for me. I kind of, I agree with Bill on that. He puts like a whole stick of butter in between this waffle, but I feel like the caramel, the liquid smoke, you know, a mm. good waffle. I mean, I actually think that that, yeah, that liquid no. smoke would be quite good. So, I mean, if that were a real thing that a restaurant or someone would make that I could eat, um, I guess I'm just too lazy to do it myself. I would definitely eat that. Doesn't that sound kind of good to you, Bar? No, I, you know, the, the, the ingredients are like, they sound like they were meant for each other, you know? N- none of that sounds crazy is what I'll say. Um, yeah. I'm always a fan of like going to legit donut shops and they have some form of the Homer donut. There's something about like just that classic, very simple, uh, whatever, pink kind of purpley uh, glaze with like right. it sprinkles every now and then. Something about it is just so simple. And I love when they try to capture like the size, like it's an oversized donut, something Homer would really freaking eat. Not, not, not this like, <laughs> you know, wimpy bullshit donuts, but like something hearty. I love me a good like Homer Simpson uh, donut um, um, at, at really like, good shops. Yeah. I actually, uh, shout out to a local shop where Botter and I live, uh, called sweet theory. That's the one that came to mind. <laughs> they have a donut called the Homer and, uh, it's very, Yo. very good. So if you're ever in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, that's a spot. I actually had a, I actually had a chocolate donut this morning from Valhalla bakery in Orlando, uh, with sprinkles on it. And, uh, it was definitely, I think it's a donut that would have pleased, uh, Homer. I don't know why I'm shouting out so many donut shops. I mean, maybe I'm really hungry, but <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah it was, it was also very good. So give me, yeah, give me a donut with like a really good icing and some sprinkles on it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm full Homer. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's the problem. You know, the guy asked PO asked how, like who I resemble the most. Maybe I'm slowly just morphing into Homer. Like maybe I was Bart as a kid. <laughs> yeah. And as I, you know, it's like, it's like my friend Marshall Julius said on a recent episode, it's like, I was Bart when I was younger and now I'm just slowly becoming Homer. Uh, oh, so yeah. maybe that's, uh, maybe that's something that needs some reflection on my part. So. You guys keeping yeah. your thoughts out there. <laughs> One donut at a time. All right. This next question comes from uh, John Lewis. Um, that's a great name, the way he spelled it. J-A-W-N, like John. I like that. Oh, um, yeah. I like that. Do you think an entire series in the style of Days of Future Future would work where the kids are grown? Yeah, I really, I, th- I thought this question was super interesting because I, I think, you know, it's something that's been discussed by, you know, a lot of different Simpsons fans and, you know, some people might hate those episodes. I, I feel like most people don't. I, I love the holidays of future past. There's like a lot of, I like a lot of the future set episodes myself, but, um, you know, I, I don't know how easy it would be to take the whole town, like all these characters and advance them that far forward. I think there's like a lot of, uh, a lot of ground to cover, a lot of things mm. to explain about everyone. Like you got to put them in some new situation. I don't think it's just as easy as aging everyone up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it could definitely work. I, I guess it depends on how old they would want them to be, if they would stick in that sort of that same timeline. But I do worry that because The Simpsons, you know, I feel like a lot of the stories work because they don't really age. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I worry that if they took them up to that future age, if it would sort of, uh, if stories would get a little harder to write. But I mean, who, yeah, I, I think it would be a cool experiment to see more episodes like that. I mean, we get them somewhat often. We get like one every other season or something now. Um, but you know, I, I do like those episodes a lot. So I'd be curious to see if, if it went that direction one day, who knows, who it, knows what uh, Disney will do, you know? I immediately thought about, um, because I, I definitely recall that episode and being kind of like, have my like, you know, mind blown as a kid watching it for the first time. Like, whoa, they actually grew old. Uh, it reminds yeah. me of, of the same feeling I had watching um, Rugrats. They had an episode or a, like a really short-lived series where they were uh, um, teenagers. And um, 
I, I agree. Like I enjoy those kind of future stories. Um, yeah. uh, a lot of times they're just, you know, in small quantities, but I don't see, I don't think Simpsons would have any problems like having a spinoff or something extra uh, that kind of tackles them older. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's something else like, you know, we, we don't know, like is Disney uh, going to turn Simpsons, you know, I said this in the last episode, I think, are they going to turn it into Mickey Mouse and, uh, or I've said this before, but are they going to turn them into Mickey Mouse and, and just try to keep it going forever and replace the voice actors in 10 years or whatever it may be. Uh, personally, even as someone who loves, uh, current episodes of the show, I hope they don't, I really don't want that to happen. I would love the show to just, you know, be over when it's over. And I I don't want to hear anyone else doing their voices. So, but maybe that's something they would explore. Maybe they would explore like doing more of a future set series, more revolving around Bart and Lisa. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows what their plans could be, but that's a, yeah, that's a great question, John. I appreciate that's something that everyone, that's something everyone should think on. It's a fun, uh, fun thought process. Absolutely. So next question we got is from, uh, Ben M B E N M. Uh, he writes, Hey Warren, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. The principal and the popper still seems to be a loaded topic within the community. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the episode? Do you think public reception was too harsh? If this episode hadn't been a holdover, instead aired in season eight, do you think fans would feel differently about seasons eight or nine? Um, so, you know, I can only speak for myself. I I actually love Principal and the Pauper, and I know that it's a controversial episode, rightfully so. You know, they, they, they take a an established character that's been there since episode one, and they act like his whole life was a lie. Like he's not actually Agnes's son. Uh, he stole this guy's name that he was in the the army with. Like, I understand why it's such a like controversial episode, but I really like what Ben uh, asked about, like, would it would people's opinions of it have been different had it not been held over? Uh, mm-hmm. So anyone who doesn't understand that, like, you know, this episode was produced during season eight and it didn't air until season nine. It was held over and used in season nine. Um I don't know any particular reason why it was held over. Well, every season uh, sort of does that. I mean, they make, you know, as many episodes as, as fit within a production window. And, and sometimes they have, they do that so that they're sort of ahead on the following season. Um, So yeah, most, most seasons have episodes that were actually produced in the, the season prior, but I don't know in this case, if it would matter, like, I don't know if, if people would have felt differently about it, had it been in season eight, I do like season eight a lot. I think it's better than season nine. Uh, but I don't know if it would have affected people's opinions on the episode. I, I, I get, I think why it bothers people. And I think a lot of controversial episodes on the Simpsons bother people because they sort of, you know, shrug at a thing or they're like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, you know, we did this to this character and like, who cares? And some people just really get hung up on that because they want to feel like it's one continuous yes. thing. Yep. But to me, I, I think the episode, you know, takes a really big swing. And I think it takes a swing in a way that ends up being really funny. And I think it's okay to take the episode the same way the whole town does at the end, where they're just like, oh, let's just agree to never speak of this again. Like let's pretend, you know, let's pretend it didn't happen. And I think that's actually really funny. It might bug you. You might think it's dumb. And they even poke fun at it in season 11 uh, behind the laughter. They they like make a reference to nonsensical plots and they play mm-hmm. a part of this episode as like a joke. But I I just think that the episode is is solid and I think it's interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it would have mattered when the episode aired, but I really like that question. But I think it's... Uh, it's cool to look at, at especially the controversial ones and think about what might've added to the weight that fans felt like that. Did it bother them more because of this or the timing and what have you? So yeah, but I, you know, good episode. Anyone that hasn't watched it in a while, watch it again. I think it'll soften up to you. As it, you go. It, it almost sounds like, you know, not only are they kind of shrugging it off, but it, it's almost like they're kind of shrugging off their, um, like the sense of continuity, like like you were saying, I think a lot of fans are looking for every piece of the puzzle to fit perfectly. And when you've got that one piece that don't quite fit and the uh, the creators themselves are kind of like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, that's not the point. You know, <laughs> I think I can definitely see how it would rub like the completionist and the hardcore fans off. Like, no, 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 no. Like this needs to make sense. You can't just right. leave that behind. So I do I do applaud them on that. That's pretty cool. Well, and, and, and we see, but we also, you know, I think a lot of fans saw it as like a sign of things to come or especially mm. like in retrospect, because uh, a lot of people feel tight. that in, you know, seasons 10 and onward, they started caring less about things making sense and they started, mm. 
you know, sort of shrugging certain things off and being like, well, you know, whatever, it's an episode, it's over. Um, and I understand why that bothers some people, but I really think, uh, that, you know, with a show like that, if you don't take some chances, um, uh, as the show grows, then you really do get sort of trapped in a box. And I think that's what principal and the pauper was. I think they took a big swing at a really different type of episode. And it's just, you know, I say this about a lot of episodes that are controversial, but it has a lot of really funny jokes in it. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, give it another shot guys. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. So moving on to, uh, another question. I believe this is someone that, um, sent a question in our first episode, right? Olivia underscore Blackstone. I think. Yeah, I believe so. Cool. So she writes in again and writes disenchantment and Futurama are thought to be in the same universe. Thanks to an Easter egg in disenchantment, uh, season disenchantment season one. What would you make of a disenchantment slash Simpsons crossover? So, I, I mean, I, first of all, I do, I do believe that disenchantment and Futurama are in the same universe. And I, I think that they're definitely going that direction. There's like a, I think it's pretty great. There's a lot of little Easter eggs and references, especially in the current, uh, the most recent part three that went up. Uh, there's like a scene where they're in a doll shop and you actually see, if you look closely, there's like a little doll that looks like Bender. Hmm. Uh, they make references to, you know, Farnsworth alley and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, uh, I, I do believe that that's sort of what they're hinting at, that it's in that same world, which technically would mean that it's also in the same world as the Simpsons, which apparently, you know, from the Futurama crossover episode, Simpsons and Futurama, at least to some extent are in the same, uh, world, or at least they're able to be, but I don't see them ever being able to do a crossover, uh, between the Simpsons and disenchantment just because, you know, with Futurama, you can sort of do whatever they can, you know, they have a time machine. They can mm. do all this different stuff. I can't think of a way that they would be able to make sense of, uh, of Simpsons and disenchantment unless it involved Futurama. And that might be just a little, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too big of an idea. Um, cause especially with Simpsons and Futurama, they did that way back in the comics. That was sort of like a joke. Um, that, or that's something that they had done before for fun in the comics. So, yeah, I mean, but would I be down for it? Sure. I mean, I'm open-minded. Um, and like I said earlier, disenchantment, uh, just keeps getting better and better. So if they find a way to make sense of a Simpsons crossover, I mean, I'll definitely, I'll definitely watch it. I mean, what, you're not going to stop me. None of you are going to stop me. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> has anyone, has, has anyone coined the phrase, uh, a graining universe? No, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't think so. I, I guess I can only assume that they would love to do it. So yeah. I, I don't know, but I'd be, I'd be curious to hear from, from everyone. I, I know Botter's sort of sleeping on disenchantment just a little bit, but I'd be curious to hear from all of you. Like if you've watched it, like, what do you, what do you think about disenchantment? Because I actually, you know, I'll be fully honest. The first season I was a little unsure. I was like, yeah, this is not bad. It's a little slow. Um, I'm not really sure how I'm, you know, if I'm going to get super into this, but with the new, the new season, I keep calling it a season. I think it's just a part. I think it's technically season two, part two. I don't know. Um, a little confusing on that, on that side, guys, I will say, but this third part that came out was really, really strong. The second part was also really strong. And I went back and rewatched the whole thing. And uh, now I love it. You're going to have to like make me not buy toys and stuff from the show That's cool. um, because I really, really enjoyed it. So, you know, yeah, I'd be curious to know what you guys think of Disenchantment and what would you all think of a, of a crossover? Does that sound like a terrible idea to you? That's something to, uh, to think about. Kind of weird question. So next question we got is from uh, underscore stoned wolf. They write, uh, what is your favorite Swartz welder episode? Yeah. You know, uh, Mr. Wolf, uh, this is an impossible question to answer because as we all know, uh, at least most of us know, I think John Swartzwelder has like probably the most scripts of any Simpsons writer. He's, he's up there. He might've been surpassed at this point, but so many episodes with his name on it. So I'm going to give you five. I'm not going to give you one. I made a little list of five here with an honorable mention and they go in no particular order. Bart gets hit by a car. Rosebud, mm. Itchy and Scratchy Land, Homer the Great, I mean, come on, come on, yeah. and Homer's Enemy. Now, those are just all five insanely good episodes. Give me a break. Honorable mention, a later season one, season 12, The Computer War Menace Shoes. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't figured it out yet, the clip in my intro 
about being great is uh, from that episode. And I think it's one of his best scripts, even though it's in a season that a lot of you are sleeping on. So um, yeah, John Swartzwelder, what, what a mind, um, you know, I, what, I don't know if some of you know this, but he liked to write in this one diner so much that when they told him he couldn't come in there and write anymore because he couldn't smoke in there, he actually bought the booth that he liked to write in and put it in his house. So there is, there is no more interesting person to ever write for television than John Swartzwelder. And I implore all of you to just read about him and how interesting he is. He writes books now that you can get on Amazon. Have you read any of his, his books? Sadly, no. I had when I had Connor Lestoka on, he was like, you gotta get into these books. And I've been told this by so many people, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm sleeping on the books, but I'm gonna do it. Um, but I don't think there's anyone more interesting from the show. And I don't think there's many writers that have written as many good episodes as John. So uh yeah, that, you know, I appreciate the question. Uh, Stone Wolf, I believe it was, but uh, that's oh, it's too hard. So yeah, you got six. Talk out about a flex! Like I, I thought you were gonna <laughs> go with, like the whole oh he ended up buying the diner, which would have been a hell of a flex. But the booth is like it's kind of like a, a layer of petty, you know? It's like all right, all right, but I want that fucking booth. <laughs> <laughs> Straight right. up. Yeah, so kind really of uh, uh, speaking, you know, about about some of your favorite things from the the show and the series. We got a question from a Michael dot j dot reckon uh recon uh what is your favorite line or joke from the show series or series yeah so i I don't i don't know if uh michael and stone wolf got together and said hey let's just ask him questions that are (laughs) impossible to answer uh you know i i don't think if someone can tell me if someone can truly tell me what they think is the funniest joke from the sims that's a fun exercise i should do a whole episode just about people's opinion on what they think the best joke in the whole series is. I'm sure I would get some very, uh, some very wild answers on that. Um, I will say that, you know, I thought of one that is probably something I think about. Uh, it's one is a joke. I think about more than others. And that is, uh, you know, from secrets of a successful marriage when Homer and the guys are playing cards and, you know, they call Homer slow and he thinks about it forever. And Lenny comes in and he's like, Oh, Homer, you're still here. You know, it's like been like hours and he was still in his own head, you know, but the joke of Mo saying, getting angry at Homer for winning the game, even though he didn't realize he won and saying, ah, I'm choking on my own rage here. I think about choking on my own rage here all <laughs> the fucking time. It's such a funny joke. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think just like asking someone like their favorite episode, I feel like you'll get a different answer every time. But I think of Mo saying that far too often, like once a day, it just pops into my brain. Dude, um, it's too good. You, you know, you said um, um, earlier, like, you know, you start out as Bart and then you kind of find yourself slowly becoming um, Homer. I will say, to circle back to my, my Mo comment, I have found myself like, yo, I resonate with Mo sometimes. I'm like, yo, I fucking get it. Like, this dude hates dumbass people. And I, I began angry for no re- Like, I love how just angry he is for no reason, you know? Um, yeah. And, and and to your point, man, because because I was like, well, what would be my favorite line or joke from the show? And I think it's it just depends on what episode I'm watching. I think I've told you plenty of times if it was acceptable for me to text you at like fucking midnight random Simpsons jokes, I would because that's usually when I'm watching, um, you know, the show to wind down. And dude, I I, I try my best to remember all the funny jokes. But by the morning, I'm like, uh, there was too many. There was way too many in that one episode. And I know tonight I'm going to watch two more and have so many more references to make. Well, you know, it, it's it's like we often say, or I often say, that The Simpsons, especially in those early years, there's too many funny jokes for a script. Like, like they don't it's waste. just joke, 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 yeah. joke, joke. Yeah. Like, too many funny jokes on top of each other. Not that it's a bad thing. But those guys were just batting a thousand. Like Dude. they were just hitting it, hitting the ball every time. So well said. They they don't. It, there's no waste of of time at all. No, everything is a build up or, or a payoff, and it's like it's, it's to your point. It's like how the fuck are you guys hitting like hitting <laughs> like perfectly? So yeah, well, that, that I'll, I'll I'll tell you another one. I, I was talking to a friend earlier who was texting me. He's like, hey, you know, I'm watching this one right now, and it's so funny. And in Homer's triple bypass. Uh, the whole scene where, you know, he's in the office and Mo is talking or not Mo Burns is talking to him 
And, you know, he's saying something and Homer takes a sigh of relief and then Burns like, you know, takes it up a notch and Homer's heart starts pounding. Like that whole scene, just the like, oh, you know, you did this, but then you did this. Like (laughs) those, that joke or just the visual element of that scene, I think is one of the funniest bits in the whole show. So uh, not to take away from my original answer, but I think that, you know, that style of humor in those early years, I think you could pick a name out of a hat and I don't think you'd be disappointed in what you got. So um, again, you know, I think, I, I think what would be a fun thing to do and everyone listening, let me know what you think of this is if I took some of these questions and flipped them around on you guys, I think I could do a whole episode uh, with just your takes on some of these, uh, you know, deeper, uh, more thoughtful questions. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do that in the in the future. But I, I think it's impossible uh, to name a, an all time great joke. But I'm going to you know, Michael, I'm going to think about that. And I'm going to see if I can come up with a final answer. Maybe one day if the show ends in my lifetime, I will actually become I'll come up with a definitive decision on uh, <laughs> on what the best joke is. I don't and, know. And, and if I may add a uh, m- maybe a recommendation for for any future, um, um, you know, email or, or question submissions is I think questions like this work better if you have certain parameters. So, right. like, what's your favorite line or joke from season seven? What's your favorite line or joke from this episode? I think it's easier to hone in on that because what ends up happening is, you know, you look at it holistically and it's a little um, overwhelming. So I think adding some parameters would, would make these questions, like, pop for sure. Yeah, and let me know also, um, this is just going to be the, not only is this another Q&A special, but it's going to be the Hey, Let Me Know special. Uh, you know, I've made a post a while back uh, about a voicemail for the podcast, and I'm curious uh, to anyone listening, like if I asked questions um, and gave you the option of calling in and leaving a voice note to possibly be, you know, played on the podcast, would that appeal to you? Would you Would you like that? Um, would you want to get your voice on here? Now, you're not going to sound as you know smooth and seductive as my friend Botter, but you could get your voice on the podcast. Um, and just, you know, that way you, I can hear it straight from you. I don't have to just read uh, your comments. So, yeah, let me know if you if you like that. Go check out that post if you want more information. Um, but I, you know, I got to say, I really, I appreciate everyone writing in these questions because I really enjoy uh, just sort of, you know, like we said in the last one, telling you what you want to know when it comes to, you know, to me. And I'm, you know, I'm flattered that anyone cares uh, what I think. So it really does mean a lot. Well said. So the next question we got is from a Pamaha 16. They write, what is the most money you have spent on a collectible and or what's the most money you'd be willing to spend on one? Um, so, you know, I'm just going to say... I, I don't like to talk too dirty on the podcast. So I don't know... Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it might just be too filthy to start naming numbers like that. Um, No, you know, I I don't. I will say that as a collector, um, I've been very fortunate to, you know, sort of have these areas of focus of, of, you know, sort of knowing it's like I always say when you when you get into collecting, sort of know what you're looking for, know what you prefer. Uh, Some collectors will buy everything with the Simpsons on it. Some have more of an area of focus like myself. Or as you go as a collector, you sort of find like what you prefer uh, from, you know, said toy line. Um, So, you know, I've been lucky to a lot of the things that I buy. I've bought a lot of stuff from other collectors where I bought in bulk or like, you know, things that would have been more expensive. But because I purchased a lot of it, I got a better deal and and so on. uh, I, I really tried to think of the most I've spent on just a single item. And I think, you know, I don't know if, if I have, I don't know if I can, if I can find that number. I will say recently uh, there was a list of um, prototypes on eBay that I've been watching for years now. And I think a friend of mine, Alex, that I mentioned earlier, I think he actually recently bought those. So I'm really fucking jealous, Alex. Um, but I, there was a Homer prototype in that lot. Um, that was a doll they never made. And he talked and the guy, there was a letter with this doll that talked of, I was there with my dad, uh, when Dan Castellaneta recorded lines for this doll. And it was like a really cool story. And it's even cooler to me because the doll was never sold. So they made a talking Homer doll that never was used at all. It was never produced, never sold in stores. Uh, so this would have been the only one or one of a few like sample prototype dolls for it. But what I thought was really 
uh, what was really cool about that is that he just had so many recollections of the process and like, Oh, I remember I used to sweep the factory and they would give me a trash bag and let me just go around and take whatever dolls I wanted at the end of a summer or whatever. So, you know, I love stories like that. I think that's really interesting. But the reason I mention that is I had tried multiple times to just buy the Homer. There was the Homer and there were these two prototype Bart's, uh, the big talking dandy Bart. I'm sure all of you have seen it. It's one of the first dolls made. And I had offered him a lot of money for, well, what I consider a, a fair amount of money for the Homer by himself. And he just would not sell. And I think at one point I offered him like uh, either eight or $900 mm. just for the Homer. And uh, he wouldn't budge. So, you know, I, you know, Alex, if you're listening, I don't know what you ended up getting all three for or if he cut you any slack at all. But I believe the listing was for something to the tune of like two grand for all three and the note, the handwritten letter. So, yeah, I I think that's probably high up on what I've offered to pay. Um, I don't know if anything in this room currently uh, that I spent that much on by itself. But I, I will say I do think uh, on more than one occasion on just a like a a lot of stuff or a, a bundle of stuff, I've spent, you know, a price with a comma in it. So um, that's just sort of the, the name of the game. If you can get it in bulk, get it in bulk. So, so and, 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 you know, from one collector to, a, to another, I want to add to her, her question and, and ask, do you budget like in any you like unique way? Do you like allocate a certain amount, like a month to purchasing items? Like I know for, for me, like, you know, I, I frequent the comic shop once a week and I know, you know, nowadays I got a way tighter, you know, uh, budget when <laughs> I go in. Um, but I know like, you know, 20, 30 bucks a week, whatever that adds up to a month, that's usually my, my comic book money. Like, do you, do you a- allocate any, like a, a, a rough estimate or amount a month to buying stuff? I really, I, I really wish that I did. Uh, I'd probably be, I'd probably be a lot better off <laughs> if I did that. Um, I, I think the hard part is especially, and you know, maybe this is some advice that some of you can use, but especially with vintage toys of any sort, uh, you know, whether it be Simpsons or, you know, Masters of the Universe or Star Wars. Uh, if you're looking for certain things or if you have, you know, like I keep saying, an area of focus, um, you kind of just have to get it when you can. And I try my best, you know, if I feel like I'm spending too much over a certain amount of time, I try to tell myself like, hey, you know, stay off, stay off all the sites. Don't, don't, you know, don't talk to some of your main guys about buying things like, you know, dial it back a notch, you know, yeah. and I'm sure my wife appreciates that. But, you know, I will say that because you can't really hesitate when you're looking for certain rarer items. Uh, recently, I had, uh, it's not crazy rare, but a, a really cool backpack that a guy had posted. And I had that and a couple other items that a, a seller I know uh, had listed. And I took, you know, the slightest bit of hesitation. I think I like responded to a text or like got distracted by my phone for a second before I actually purchased um, the, the stuff in my cart. And when I went back to buy it, it was already gone. Oh, um, I'm talking, it had been up for maybe 15, 20 minutes and I saw it. And I was like, Ooh, I love, I like that. I got to get it. And it was gone. And so with that said, I think if I did, you know, say like I can only spend X amount this week, um, you know, I think sometimes I would be, you know, left with not getting the thing, but uh, to anyone that thinks that like, oh, it must be nice. Um, if I feel like I'm spending too much, another thing that I do is I will find stuff that I'm less attached to mm. and I'll sell it in my story or I'll put it in my store and uh, share that with, you know, any of you that care. So I think that I just have to sort of, uh, I have to sort of not punish myself, but if I feel like I'm going in too hard, yeah, I sure. feel like I have to, you know, lose something else that I don't care as much about. So, I, you know what? I'm glad you said that because that that was one thing uh, when we first started hanging out, and you know, I I think I came over one time and you had just gotten this package in. Um, it was like a bunch of um, like office supplies, I think, like stationery oh, yeah, from UK, right? And I was like, "Yo, what are you going to do with this?" And you're like, oh, "I'm going to, you know, resell it." And I was like, "Warren's got it. He's got to figure it out." Because what I think <laughs> what a lot of um, uh, collectors forget about doing is um, there is an opportunity to use kind of make the the monster the machine feed itself you know like there's right. there's opportunities to like you were saying you know buy in bulk keep what you want and sell the other stuff i think you forget that it, it's a two-way street you can buy and sell so yeah. the stuff that you end up growing less attached to or just never been attached to use that to fund you know the, the collection and i think you've, you've got a good 
um, grasp on that. I see you uh, always posting things for sale, and I'm glad that you you keep the that entrepreneur mindset. You know, it's not about everything, all the input, but there needs to be some sort of output to keep it maintained. Right, and you know, sometimes you know, especially when you're looking at stuff. Uh, as much as I am and sort of keeping, you know, my finger on the pulse of just, you know, what's, what's being sold. And, you know, I have like a sort of a routine with the different, you know, websites and apps that sell mm-hmm. stuff that I'm like, okay, I'm going to check all of these before I go to bed. Um, but I think, you know, when you're looking at stuff as often as I am, sometimes like you'll find a thing that you know is worth more money or you'll find like a, a bundle of stuff that you know is worth way more than, you know, what they have it listed. And I don't buy that stuff thinking like, oh yeah, I'm going to rip some people off. Uh, but you know, it just sort of comes with the territory that if you find, you know, good deals on things that you don't personally need, you can pass that on to someone else mm-hmm. at a small profit. And it sort of helps you, you know, keep things, um, you know, keep things moving. Like you said, feed the machine. Um, and I don't want people to think that every time I'm selling stuff, it's just stuff that I bought just to sell. But like today, you know, a guy contacted me, he said he had a, you know, a death in the family, a distant relative that had left him a lot of Simpson stuff. And a lot of it appears to be stuff that I don't need. But I told him, depending on what he had in mind, I might be interested in all of it because I think I could, you know, turn around and, and share that with other people and, and and get that stuff out there. So, you know, I think that's a fun aspect of collecting that maybe some collectors don't think about. Like that allows you to buy stuff you mm-hmm. that you want that might include some stuff you don't want or don't need. And then you can just, you know, move that to the next person. So it's a it's a it's a fun thing to do. It's also gives me an excuse to buy even more stuff than I have room for, and then I can just get rid of it. Well said. <laughs> so so like, let's get back to, to talking about the actual show. Oh, yeah, next, yeah, yeah. We got this, some questions to answer. Yeah, yeah sorry. Th- this next question comes from a uh, Tania9001. They write, what has been the best use of a song on The Simpsons? Song used for a montage or one that Homer covers? Yeah, I I, uh, I really like this question, and I, I saw in there um, – and I know I say that a lot, guys, but these are just good questions, okay? No, so I like all these questions. But uh, I remember in her follow-up to the actual question, she mentioned Marge and Homer's song, uh, you know, Close to You, why, you know, when Why Do Birds Suddenly Appear Every Time You're Near, uh, as one of her favorites. And I got to say, not to steal your answer, uh, Tania, but I actually agree. I think that's the best use of a song, specifically uh, when they bring it back in the episode Maximum Homer Drive, when Marge buys the doorbell that actually plays that song, she's like, oh, it's our song. You know, <laughs> I got to get this doorbell. And there's this amazing scene of her like, oh, you know, Lisa, we got to we got to we got to find someone to come ring this doorbell, you know, and it gets stuck. And it's this whole ordeal. Senior Ding Dong has to come fix the doorbell. But I think just the that song is perfect. I love that it's Marge and Homer's song. But I also love an episode as late in the game, season 10, as Maximum Homer Drive sort of calling back to that, putting a spotlight on it, but using it for an, you know, a, a totally different type of joke. Um, so I think that is, you know, because of the amount of times it's been used, that's going to be my, I think that's the best answer to that question. I think it's the best one. That's a good one. So, And, and I'm going to add a, a personal question because her, her question about like the music that's on the show, I've always been curious, and excuse me if this is a, a rookie question and every one of your <laughs> listeners is like, get this fucking rookie out of here. But um, <laughs> the, the, the jazz arrangements at the beginning of every episode uh, where Lisa's playing, one, those change every episode, correct? Like I'm not no, crazy. but they they, okay. they change sometimes. Okay, uh, okay, not not that often, but there's there's once in a while where they do something a little funky with it. Yeah, is there any uh like any backstory or any interesting like is it done on purpose? Like who do who do they have play those? Yeah, so I do know, and I of course I'm forgetting their names. I know that uh, Yardley Smith mentioned to me that there were I think two or three people that were sort of responsible for playing saxophone for Lisa oh. because she you know she played it throughout the show yeah, and yeah. and things like that. I can only assume. That for the the theme song, that at least the main theme, you know, was was Alf Clausen's, you know, orchestra, his team. Uh, as far as like when they would sort of switch it up and do little little different things with it, I don't know. But that, that's a really good question because I would love to know what makes them decide to you know sort of switch it up from time to time. Does any and also I I would really like to know how many times it's different. So that's something yeah. that after this episode I'm going to look into how many times they change what Lisa plays. Uh, on the sax. That's a, that's a funny one. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting to think about, Botter. So nice, nice follow up there. I like that. Good Yo, job. Thank you, Tania, for the uh, for the alley. That was a good assist. Um, and then the, the last question. Uh, yeah, you know what I will say about all of these folks that um, have been kind enough to send in questions. Great usernames, and I felt like this this last one is is definitely up there. But um, well, before son. before you read the question, I do want to say. So there were some of you that both the first time we did this and the second time had more than one question. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to answer a bunch of questions from the same person in the same episode, but I still have those questions. And, uh, so, you know, I'm going to do another one. We'll do a part three. I guess we'll just, we'll, we'll start doing these, whether it's me and Botter, whether it's me and another friend, but I, you know, I personally, I'm going to make Botter come back as often as I can. So um, I will get to those other questions that some of you asked, because I know, I think it was Olivia uh, had a couple of really great questions mm. and I probably should have just answered all of them, but uh, you know, I wanted to save some. So if you didn't ask a question and you like this episode, the next time I post about it, ask me a question. And if you're not sure if it's been asked before, that's okay. If it has, I'm just not going to answer it. <laughs> but, but you should ask that's me questions way. and you should, uh, you should contribute to the next episode. I really enjoy doing these and I really appreciate all of you for listening and asking me questions and just being my friends. So there you go. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yo, keep keep sending the questions in written so that way I have a job. Don't, don't send them in voicemail. That's true. All right. This last question comes from uh, uh, Thift Sons. Um, which I think is a, is a great name. That uh, is writes, great. Or they write, I'm sorry. Uh, is there a price someone could offer you that would make you give up your collection for good? Well, so you, you, oddly enough, and I won't say I'm asked this, I won't say I'm asked this a lot, but I have been asked it before. And I wish I had an actual number. Uh, if someone even, sometimes people ask me like, oh, what is the value of your collection? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't, really know. I've never really sat down, totaled it up. Um, and even if I tried to, you know, shoot a number off the dome right now, I feel like it wouldn't be accurate. Um, I think if someone offered me somewhere in the area of, let's say someone offered me, you know, $50,000, likely in that event, I would consider selling it because then I could probably just buy a lot of the same stuff again and still have some cash. So, that's a mistake that a lot of people make when they go to sell their collection is they either try to sell all of it at once and they'll never get what it's worth hmm. because someone's not going to want to spend that much money. Um, so that's why I always tell people to piece it out, sell it, you know, a few things at a time, get what it's worth. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I think if someone offered me 50 G's, I'd probably sell it. Maybe, yeah, maybe 30. I, I just don't know. Um, yeah. But it would be hard if someone said, "Hey, I got a, I got a briefcase right here. It's got you know thirty five thousand dollars in it. Um, will you sell me your collection?" I think it would it wouldn't be an easy answer, but I, I guess I would consider it because I knew I could you know maybe yep. find some of it again. If someone know. showed up with like you know <laughs> like cartoon money bags, like bags of like <laughs> like the dollar sign drawn on it, I'd be like, I, I like I like this dude's gusto. <laughs> like I, I I would I would listen. But you know you know this question makes me think about some advice I got from from a good friend of mine a few months ago. He was saying like, Yo, B man, like you got a bunch of cool stuff. Like don't sell your stuff because you know for money. Because later on you'll realize, well. I'm, I, money comes and goes. I'm always going to kind of either be getting money or spending money. Right. But those things, especially like the ones that you've developed some sort of attachment with, that's something that you can't, you know, re- rebuild. That's something you can't get back. And um, that's really kind of resonated with me, man. Like, there's definitely things in here that, you know, if I if I should lose them, you know, uh, which you know, knock on wood, I hope I don't. Um, they wouldn't hurt me, but there's definitely some things in here that I just, you know, would definitely have an impact on me. So I've kind of been thinking about that a lot, about like, you know, just keeping my things, whether um, I know I can't take me to the grave, but it's <laughs> something that I can pass along. And that was something about, you know, we were talking about legacy and stuff like that. But he was like, yo, I can't tell you how much in, in my, and he's much older, but in my state right now, my dad gave me a lot of cool stuff that, you know, meant a lot to him. He was a collector of, of something. And you know, I just didn't treat it right, you know, and I, and I ended up selling it and I, it really beats me up now. So I, I think about that a lot when I think about my my own, you know, toy collection and, and whatnot, you know. Yeah, there's probably a number out there, but I probably, I don't know. Like I, well, I think in the moment I, I would be hesitant. I'd still be like, eh, 
it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't, the value isn't quite, you can't put a value on that sentimental, you know, especially right. like well, that strong well, sentiment. You, you also say like, you know, like you can't take it to the grave with you, but I've actually been looking at some plots that I think I could fit <laughs> a lot of this in. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be really baller. If like, yeah. you know, <laughs> your, your casket was in the middle and it was like a replica of your room, I'd be like, yo, uh, a uh, Warren wins. Warren wins the yeah. afterlife. Like, come on. Well, you know, I like what you said, Botter, because I, you know, there is some stuff in here and I cannot stress to all of you listening enough that there's some things in here that not only took me years to find, but there's stuff in here that I had to, you know, order from France or Italy. Hmm. Um, and the whole time, like breakable things, rare things that the whole time I'm like, this thing's going to be broken when it gets here. Like this cookie jar is going to be shattered there's no way the guy packed it well enough. Even if he did, you know, it's coming a long way. It's probably yeah. going to be broken. So I've spent so, and I'm definitely that guy. I know we've all seen the meme where the lady like, you know, orders something and where it's like me when I order anything, she sits by the mailbox waiting on it. <laughs> I am that guy that checks his tracking religiously. I care way too much about the stuff in my collection and just this hobby in general. It's really infectious and it's really hard to stop. So there's a lot, you know, even if someone rolled up, with a bunch of money and was like, Hey, I'm going to, let me buy it all right now. If I knew it was for the best, if I was in a tight spot, I wouldn't hesitate too much. But if I, you know, could afford to keep my stuff, it'd be really, really hard for me to get rid of a lot of things in this room. Uh, because you know, without the stuff in this room, not to get too sentimental on you guys, but without the stuff in this room, I wouldn't have this podcast. I wouldn't have the Instagram. I wouldn't have met a lot of people that I know all over the world that love the Simpsons. Uh, who knows if I would have actually met Botter. I like to think that I would have because we live in the same city, but this collection has done a lot to introduce awesome. me to some people that I consider friends from all over the world. And, you know, that might sound corny. And if any of you are making fun of me, fuck you. But <laughs> I, I really believe that, yeah. you know, this stuff is special for a you know, magnitude of reasons. So, um, you know what it is? You know, it's because the money isn't that important to us. Now, granted, it's money. We all need money to live, but. We get enjoyment out of the pro everything that comes before the money, before or after. It's that process, that journey, that story that you get, you know, like waiting, like you were saying, like waiting to see if this product comes in, like the, the, the thrill of the hunt, you know, like I feel like almost someone coming with that much money, like I would almost be, if I was to take it, I probably would, that would probably signify the end of it for me. Like that's me closing it because I just wouldn't be able to do it. Like there's a certain thrill to it, you know? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, this is like sort of off topic, but sort of on topic. Uh, when I moved, like when my wife and I first bought this house and I had to move my collection from a place we were renting to this house, I had to box everything up. And, oh. you know, if you've followed me for a long time, anyone out there, it's no secret that there was a period of time of about a year where I barely posted, or I might post like, you know, once every other week because the room was just in disarray. I mean, all this stuff was still in boxes. I was really overwhelmed by getting it back up and displayed and hanging stuff on the wall. And to anyone that, that collects out there, you can, you can agree. That's a huge thing to do as a collector to take all this stuff and put it in a box and then have to start over from zero, effectively getting it out and back onto shelves, especially when it's not in the same room. It's not like you're like, Oh, I'm just gonna put everything back the way it was. So, you know, with that said, like, I, for a time, almost didn't appreciate my collection the way that I had for a few years prior to that. And it really, once I got back to my, to the room and I got back to getting things going, it was so rewarding. And I've talked to collectors recently that have like, you know, I've, I haven't had time for the collection. I haven't really been buying as much. I'm getting sort of burnt out. And, you know, I just tell them, I'm like, Hey, I've been there. Be sure that you feel that way before you sell it before you move on, because we all go through those phases with just with anything in life that we love, whether it's a podcast, a show you watch, a collection, make sure that you're actually over it and you're not just reacting to like a certain set of circumstances. So I think that collecting is one of those things that you're going to, it's going to ebb and flow. You're going to have a different relationship with it as you go. And, uh, you know, just because some guy offers you a bunch of money, uh, unless you really need that money, consider if you're actually done or, or, or if you, you know, wouldn't get more for that stuff later on. So I just, you know, be patient with your collection, be patient with your relationship to the collection, you know, whether it's comic books or anything, and just, you know, be sure that you're over it before you let it go. 
That's what I'll well, say sir. to all of you. I think you gave a fantastic long answer to Tiff Sun's <laughs> <laughs> question. That was a good one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that does it for this episode. I really, um, you know, the first one, I wasn't able to get to, to quite all of them. So I wanted to get more of them in this one. And, and I really thought that, and, and you know, I said that 12 was it. I think I thought 12 was too many. So I am still sitting on a few. I know there's some more that I didn't get to. Um, so that'll be for next month. Um, oh, yeah. in the meantime, I want you guys to think about what I said earlier. You know, let me know if you would leave a voicemail, let me know if you have questions for the next episode and, you know, get excited. I want to, you know, give you guys a bit of a preview for things I have coming up. Uh, anyone that does collect that listens to this podcast, if you've ever looked at the books with Robert W. Getz, um, I might just be talking to Mr. Getz soon, which I think will will provide some really interesting information uh, about just Simpsons collecting in general and how those books came to be. And, uh, you know, that's one of many really fun episodes I'm working on. So uh, I apologize for taking the week off. That's going to happen from time to time, I guess. But I will try to uh, keep them keep them rolling. Um, and I want to thank Botter here for coming on again and asking me some uh, some questions and just, uh, you know, giving me his take on some stuff and just hanging out. So, no, yeah, man, my um, pleasure. I, I love it, man. I love that. That that first one was a lot of fun. And, and like I've like I said in that one, it is so nice to play like co-host and kick my feet up and just you know have someone else lead it but now nah, man this was this was really cool man you got a um you have a really awesome community of, of followers uh not only on instagram but also like uh the, the podcast uh listeners man like you've got a solid group of folks man it, it's always it is always endearing and, and you know um as a fellow host that also ask you know for questions and, and i'm always like all about listener engagement um it is such a great feeling when you get more questions than you can fit into one episode. There's something about it, man. Like that type of, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a good feeling. I'm glad that, you know, you already have enough questions for a third episode. It means I get to keep my job <laughs> and hang out and talk Simpsons. No, it's a, it's a fact. And I also, you know, I, I do want to say, um, you know, I, I'm still new to this podcast and, and the response and the feedback from all of you has mattered so much. And, you know, like I said at the top, asking you guys to come in and record, uh, record, asking you guys to come in and leave, you know, some feedback on the iTunes and stuff. That's only so I can get this thing, you know, get even more eyes on the podcast. But if you don't have time for that, but you're still listening, it's all good. I'll let you off the hook. But, um, you know, you guys are just know that you're appreciated as this process grows and as the podcast does what it does. And I appreciate all of you. But before we get out of here, I want to give Botter a chance to shout out his awesome podcast, just like last time for any of you that missed it. And uh, all of you should be supporting Botter and telling him that you love him because I know I do. So Botter, you know, tell everyone to check out, Give tell everybody where you're at and what you're doing. Hell yeah, man. I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. If you are a fan of comic books, might I recommend checking out the Short Box podcast? Uh, we love to not only talk about comic books, we love to recommend comic books and we love to interview the best creators in comic books. So if any of that sounds up your alley, uh, go find the Short Box Podcast, hit subscribe button, and join in on the fun that we have on a weekly basis. Yeah, well said. And you should definitely be doing that. You can find Short Box on anything, Twitter, Instagram, all that good sure, stuff. Sure. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter and anywhere that you get your podcasts. But you already know that because you're listening. So as for me... As for Botter, I'll see you guys next week. One love. Peace. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Barter Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.